Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 stock picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 9th of March. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. All right, our two experts on the show today, David Lane from Ordmanet and Brody Harold from Macro Capital. Welcome to both of you guys. Uh, David, um, what are you observing on the market at the moment? We're just sort of trying to get into positive territory as I speak. But of course, uh, it was a pretty ugly day yesterday all in response yeah. to what's coming out of the mouth of uh, Jerome Powell at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly been a, an interesting uh, 48 hours as far as central banks are concerned with the, the Reserve Bank uh, starting to indicate a potentially a bit of a pivot. But then uh, that same night that uh, Jerome Powell is, is talking about the fact that the, the Fed needs to, to raise rates uh, higher and, and faster. Um, so, yeah, competing competing discussions there and I think uh, yeah, that's mainly due to the fact that the, the mortgage uh, system is, is totally different. So in Australia we have the, the variable rate mortgages where the, the pain is felt fairly quickly whereas in the US majority of those uh, mortgages are, are fixed rate and long term so the, the interest rate moves haven't really had the, the impact that they've had in Australia yet. Yeah, Brody. Um, of course, we are seeing, starting to see that divergence now in policy between uh, our own central bank and that of the US. Um, how has that set up the Australian market, do you feel, as we head into the later half of the year? Yeah, look, I think our central bank's uh, a little bit more concerned about the property market realistically. So um, if we look at some of those comparable economies, obviously our rates aren't nearly as high at the moment as well. So um, look, we're probably not taking as much of a lead um, as maybe we usually would from the, the US market as well. So look, it's, it's relatively positive. Um, the US market's definitely fallen back a lot more than the Australian market. So look, I don't see it as a, a bad thing and I'll, I'll take it as it comes. Yep. Why wouldn't you? All right. Let's um, get into those stocks uh, that we're going to be covering today. There you can see the list. Uh, we will be taking a look at Navigator Global, uh, Cardinal, uh, National Storage, REIT, Unibail, Redemco and Sims. Our stock of the day is the retailer Maya. It has reported uh, just over 100% year-on-year growth in its NPAT to $65 million. And it put, it's put that down to its customer first plan. The retailer is saying trading for the calendar 2023 remaining strong, uh, albeit it remains cautious of potential macroeconomic headwinds. And the company will pay a fully franked interim dividend of four cents a share. And the Maya chief executive spoke about that macro outlook. Like all retailers, we remain cautious about the macroeconomic environment. However, we are pleased with momentum we are generating through our plan and have a strong pipeline of initiatives still to come, which will ensure we are well placed for the future. All right, and there we can see as a result, its shares jumping to more than 12% today. All right, so let's get the view of our experts. Brody, uh, retailing space, obviously difficult at the moment, but how well placed is Meyer at this point? 
Um, look, it's one of the great brands of Australia, um, so I better be sort of somewhat careful with uh, what I say. Been a really good comeback story um, over the past few years. Obviously, on the back of this half-year report, they've popped to that yearly high, um, which is really, really positive to see. The market clearly likes it. Um, like you mentioned, they sort of doubled their profits with a nice special dividend as well. Um, look, I think it's when it comes to the retail space, I'm acting with a lot of caution. Um, I think sort of last time me and David were on the call, we, we mentioned sort of one or two of those names within the space that we were comfortable to pick up. This is probably not one of those that I'm looking at at the moment. And I think one of the problems when you look at Maya um, is they've got, I guess it's, it's hard for them to get a return because they're taking up such massive floor space that they have. So it only sort of realistically works in quite a lot of the big cities, um, but they tend to struggle with their stores outside of that as well. So look, what you tend to see is if you go into a Westfield or a uh, big shopping centre in general, um, you're going to go to the specialist stores instead. If you want shoes, you go to a shoe store um, in the same building or pretty much sort of next door as well. So I think when you look at Maya, um, you've got, just got to look at the comparables. I think there are sort of better businesses out there, um, like Accent Group is, is probably uh, the one just based off the example I gave as well. So look, even though the story has been really good at the moment, I think everything that's sort of happening in the, the retail space um, with the potential headwinds that they'll be running into, I'd actually look to uh, take this opportunity to probably start to work the stock from the sell side as well. All right. David, what are your thoughts then? In fact, I was uh, t- discussing this in the newsroom uh, earlier about, you know, when was the last time you actually went into a Myers store? It's been a while for me. And I guess to, to Brody's point, you know, if you're in one of those larger like Westfield centres, you've got it all there. Unless perhaps yeah. you want to price check and think maybe I'll be able to pick it up cheaper in Maya. Yeah, that's right, and and that's been my view that uh, you know I thought the the department stores were were uh, a bit of a, a dinosaur and, and dying a, a fairly slow death. But um, yeah, the the result today was was surprising. Uh, it was positively surprising. Uh, the other encouraging thing that came through the result was not just their their last half result, but the fact that their post Christmas sales have actually been up 16%. So that's somewhat different to what we've seen from some of the other retailers that have commented that uh, sales were very strong through to Christmas and then January and Feb have been weaker. Uh, so it's interesting that Meyer has, has continued to have some fairly strong trading. Um, having said all of that, tend to agree with, with most of Brody's comments that uh, we had down, uh, had upgraded the, the recommendation from a live on Maya to a hold earlier in, in Feb when we saw that the, the share price was down. But given today's share price jump, um, trading at $1.06, $1.07 at the moment, um, probably, yeah, an opportunity to take some profits and, and to, to look at lightening uh, that holding once again. Um, yeah, it's difficult to see the, the longer term um, benefit out of a, a company like Maya in, in this environment as we head into a, a slowdown. Yes. Okay. All right, that is our stock of the day, Maya. All right, let's get into those stocks as picked by you. The first one being Navigator Global. Gary, Mornington about this. It is a uh, diversified alternative asset manager. Uh, in fact, it has in the past acquired uh, uh, minority ownership in, in alternative asset managers uh, globally. Uh, let's, and it's obviously um, asset management, as we know, has been a tricky space to operate it in. David, what are your thoughts on Navigator Global? 
Yeah, it is. A, it has been a tricky space for, for some, um, but Navigator Global has, has actually performed very, very well uh, as far as their their underlying funds, but then also their assets under management. Um, as you said, they've made a few strategic acquisitions, so they've uh, expanded their their network of, of fund managers. They're effectively a, uh, a manager of boutique managers um and yeah we like it we've we've got a buy recommendation on it uh target price of a dollar 95 uh we think that they're trading it at a reasonable uh level at the moment pe of 9.1 times dividend yield of, of 3.1 percent so it's relatively attractive and, and we can see further growth in terms of their earnings um coming through their their recent acquisitions uh and their yeah, they've actually paid relatively well for the, the managers that they bought. So uh, we think it, it's a good business that uh, yeah should continue to, to generate some reasonable returns. All right. So a buy for that, um, Brody. Do you agree? So as as David points out, they're a manager of managers. So you're, I guess, you're taking advantage of other people's work. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and look, I, I haven't really sort of had much coverage over this one in the past. So I did a, a bit of a deep dive into their last report. Um, obviously, they're a manager of managers. It looked like a bit of a financial thesaurus when I was going through the report as well. Um, but there's a couple of interesting points. Look, I, I'm going to have to agree with David. It's quite a sort of low PE. I don't think the valuation is, is too blown out or anything along those lines has been a difficult year for some of those asset managers and, and fund managers as well. But look, what sort of probably struck me, um, it's an incredibly low margin business. Um, so some of that in the past has actually been attributed to the large dividends. They have in the past paid out quite a substantial dividend. It looks as if they've sort of been decreasing that significantly over the past year or so. Um, but sort of one thing that struck me, their companies run $65 billion in assets under management, which is, you know, a fantastic feat. It's quite a lot of money. However, their sort of earnings decreased in their last report to around about that sort of $21 million mark as well. So if you look at that sort of from a percentage basis only, um, it's 0.03% earnings margin on their assets under management as well. So, I mean, for a hedge fund, um, or I guess a manager of said hedge funds, um, it usually means that you know, I haven't sort of looked uh, completely into the performance of all of their funds, but the fact that they're growing their assets under management, it hasn't actually equated to a overwhelming amount of growth in their underlying earnings as well. Um, probably one positive I would say is if we're entering this economic environment, um, hedge funds tend to do quite well. Obviously, they can go long on stocks, they could go short on stocks. Um, but realistically, for me, I don't see that there's any major point of difference. And, and for the moment, uh, I probably wouldn't be looking to get involved with this one right now. So you're calling out an avoid then? You're just simply not interested? Yeah, yeah, not at this stage. Look, uh, I think the potential upside is if we do get into a slightly more difficult, um, yeah, I guess financial environment, maybe later on towards the year. Hedge funds, they're very nimble um, in the way that they can invest and that's usually when you tend to see that they outperform quite considerably. Um, so if something like that was to occur, if they were to have major sort of uh, inflows of funds because of that, like, I mean, if we look at it at the end of the day, it's very easy to make money in a market that's going up. People don't need the advice quite so much, um, but it's when things go really bad that they start to, to look for advice from the professionals as well. So look, that might be, um, yeah, a point where I'll have a look at this stock, but for the moment, um, it's just not in the right spot for me in a bit of a downgrade cycle. So I'll be staying away. Yep, 
fair enough. Okay. Right, our second one, uh, in fact, we, we were talking about this earlier with Maya um, and perhaps walking into a, a Westfield shopping centre. Well, in fact, we've got a couple of stocks where we're covering this because um, we're heading into Cardinal uh, Property Trust. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel it's only got, uh, its sole investment is a 50% stake in Westfield Cardinal, which is a chain of regional shopping centres based in Brisbane. Um, David, maybe we should start with you because that's where you are. Maybe you shop there yourself. Uh, what are your thoughts on Cardinal? I regularly do. Sorry to, to correct you, but it's Carindale. Um, Carindale. I, I, know it, <laughs> ah. I know it very well because yes. it's actually the suburb that I live in. It's my local shopping centre. Um, so uh, it's a bit of a, an aberration, this property trust, because it's the only Westfield shopping centre that's owned a step to centre. So uh, Carindale Property Trust owns 50% of the, the operation, centre owns the other 50%, and then in turn, centre owns 64.5% of Carindale Property Trust. So it's a little bit strange as to why it's separately listed, uh, and that's probably the, the reason that you would want to be buying it. So they're currently trading at $4.44. Uh, their occupancy is 99.4%. It's a very good shopping centre. It's in an area where uh, it's you know, reasonably high um, high wealth demographic, and there aren't too many competitors in in the you know the the, the immediate area. Um, there is the potential that at some point in time, Centre looks at taking out the the balance that they don't already own. So I think that's the the upside potential that it's got. Um, the NTA, as far as their their latest report was $7.14, so they're trading at a significant discount to, to that, um, paying a dividend yield of 5.9%, so it's a reasonable income. Um, again, it's if you want to be in it to um, potentially be taken out at some point by centre, there's a reason to be in it and, and get an income from it. Um, if you want a more diversified portfolio and, and want exposure to Westfield shopping centres all around the country, you'd be buying centre. Um, so yeah, a bit of a, a, a niche, unique uh, investment. So sorry, what's your recommendation? We we don't officially cover it. We did uh, we did cover it and had a, a buy recommendation on it, but we're not doing the, the coverage on it at the moment. But yep. uh, I look, I, I think it would be a buy. Um, you know, it's it's one that is obviously very close to me, so I know it quite well. Um, so yeah, I think it's a buy at current levels. It's it's got good value uh, where it's trading. Okay, all right. Just as well, I went to you first to correct that typo, which I read. Uh, Carindale, of course, shopping centres. You would know it well then. Uh, Brody, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with a lot of the sort of points that, that David made, but uh, probably a couple of things that I'd add to that. There's obviously a lot of REITs in the market at the moment. There is sort of plenty of choice. Um, this has probably benefited from the backward-looking data at the moment. Um, there is that sort of big question mark, and we'll probably discuss this a, a few times over the show, over the outlook. Um, the job market's still sort of very strong, so if this tends to slow up very quickly, um, spending might start to slow down. Um, so just given, you know, I'm probably erring on the side of caution um, with a couple of these uh, couple of these REITs. Look, their last report was, was actually really good. Um, but like I mentioned, mainly backward looking data. 
Um, David mentioned that NTA of $7.14, which it's trading at a massive discount to as well. Um, but look, I think they've obviously taken on a bit of uh, a bit of debt to be able to achieve that. They've got a gearing um, ratio of around about sort of 31%, which means that their expenses are high. Um, but just in terms of it, look, it's, it's a pretty safe business. So if you're in it, I'm uh, happy to hold on for a longer term sort of return. Um, usually you tend to see that a lot of these REITs over the longer term, they will trade somewhat close, sometimes even at a premium if they're not holding on to too much debt to that NTA. Um, and yeah, that's trading up at the sort of $7.14 mark as well. So yeah, I'm not sort of uh, too sure what the, the plan is here for further growth. I probably feel like there's a couple of better REITs on the market, um, mainly in the industrial space is, is probably a, a preferred space at the moment. But if you're in it, I'm happy to hold. Yeah, you're not going to lose any sleep about this one. All right, that's a hold from you then for uh, Carindale. Um, well, Brody, okay, let's stay there because you've been talking about those REITs. Let's go to another one, the National Storage. And, mm. um, well, I think it's actually Australasia's largest uh, operator of those self-storage uh, units. Um, so, interested to see whether you, what's going on in that space at the moment, just in terms of growth. Are we trying to store more at the moment away from our homes? What's your thoughts then on National Storage? Look, this is, this is one of the rates that I'm actually definitely a little bit more interested in. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, they've got around, I think, sort of 200 plus storage centres uh, across Australia and New Zealand. They really haven't overcomplicated the business, um, which is nice. It's a very simple business model. It works. Um, the one thing I like about this name is that they're a good growth opportunity for a REIT. Um, there is a long-term story to the business, just as opposed to say another REIT with retail or, or office space as well. So yeah, if you look at the valuation on that, the, the group currently trades, yeah, just a touch under 90% occupancy. Um, they've got a decent development pipeline. So uh, what they've been doing over the past couple of years, and they've done a really good job of this, is they've just continued to grow the business out. They've got around 13 development sites uh, that they've put up just this financial year more acquisitions uh, in the space as well. So they're just pickpocketing more of that market share. Obviously the catch 22 with a REIT growing sort of, I guess too quickly is that you're increasing debt at the same time. Um, but yeah, look, I had a look through their report, nothing sort of too major for me at the moment. Their gearing ratio is, is basically at the low end of their guidance and what they wanted at. Um, and the valuation definitely hasn't sort of blown out as well. So look, I think uh, I guess, look, we're talking a lot about this consumer spending might affect their business. Um, the macro is uh, housing and leasing is more expensive. People are sort of developing and living in some of these smaller places. So they are reverting to looking for storage options. Um, so I think they'll be able to maintain their stable revenue. Um, they've usually got a pretty sticky customer base or so. So I definitely think it's sort of a hold if you're in it. It's a really safe business. I do like the, the long-term growth from it. It's probably just more so a matter of price um, at this stage as well. I think it's just very trading very close to that NTA. Um, but if you are to see some weakness on that, I'm happy to, to go out and buy some NSR. Mm, okay. So, Brody, what is your what would your favourite REITs be then? I think NSR's got to be up there. Um, CIP is probably our favourite business. Um, so that's going to be just your, your largest pure play industrial REIT at the moment. And I think when you're sort of looking at uh, a lot of the REITs out there, we're still sticking away from, 
I guess. Um, anything in the sort of retail space, I guess we're approaching with a little bit more caution. Um, office space as well, um, if they're particularly diversified and they have exposure in those other areas, um, we'd rather just that pure play industrial REIT. We think the space is the, the best place to be if you're in property at the moment. So that's my pick. Okay. David, National Storage. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly had a fantastic result uh, and it did indicate that demand has still been very, very strong for, for storage. Um, we, though, have a lightened recommendation on it. think that uh, fair value is about $2.10. Um, some of the concerns that we've got going forward are that the the business is reliant on, um, obviously, their, you know, their, their customers uh, paying their rent, but they're not necessarily tied to CPI. So in a, a high inflation, high interest rate environment, they're reliant on being able to pass through their, their, um, you know, their, their increasing costs. So that could have an impact on demand in a, in a slowing environment. Uh, so it's probably more a look to the future and think that at current prices, they're probably a little bit expensive. Um, but as Brody said, they're a very well-managed business. They've been able to grow very strongly. Uh, one of the other um, things that they've done well is that they've they've been disciplined in their acquisitions and they've paid very well for that. Um, in a in an environment with um, higher cap rates, we're concerned that you know there, there could be a, a few missteps there. Um, so probably take an opportunity to take some profits and, and lighten the holding uh, in national storage at the moment and potentially look for a bit of a weakness in the share price to to um, yeah come back in. I'll ask you the same question then, as far as your preference in REITs? Yeah, we like uh, Centuria Industrial uh, or CIP as, as well as Brody. Um, the other ones that we like are uh, RAM Essential Services, which is the ticker codes REP. Uh, it's one that, that has a lot of um, exposure to, to medical as well as your, your grocery stores. Um, it's trading well below its NTA. Uh, and we also like Charter Hall Long Whale, which is as the name, it's got a lot, lot of long lease expiries, uh, and there many of those are linked to CPI. So, uh, yeah, we think that more conservative um, side is the way to go. Uh, but again, we also like the Centuria Industrial. I think they're a, a well-managed business as well. Okay, all right, right. Let's get into. In fact, we, we're stuck in the malls today. Um, <laughs> we're going into Unimobile Dumco. Uh, it is, it's sort of the old uh, malls uh, in Euros, uh, US, Europe, uh, plus the Redemco malls, of course. Uh, so interested to get your view. I mean, we have covered this space, but well, specifically then with this company, David, how, how do you look at the Unibail? Yeah, we actually think that they're reasonably priced at the moment. We've got an accumulate recommendation on them. Uh, as you said, they've got the, the Westfield shopping centres outside of Australia, uh, but then they've also got um, the Simon Property Group and, and Redamco. Uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of, of stores all around Europe. Um, obviously, there are concerns about the, the growth trajectory in, in Europe and, and the impact of uh, inflation over there, but it is a dominant player. They've got high quality tenants uh, and they've got high occupancy. So, yeah, we've seen a bit of weakness in their share price um, you know, down significantly over the, the last, you know, really since they've listed. Um, so we think at current levels it's it's reasonable value and we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. All right, Brody. 
the company. I think the management's dropped the ball a little bit here because, I mean, exactly like David said, they have that portfolio of these these really fantastic assets. Um, look, the way we sort of look at it is they probably chased Westfield a little bit too much um, at the wrong time of the cycle. Obviously had to take on a lot of debt to be able to do this. And now they're just left with a, a huge amount of debt at the moment. And it seems like the management is, uh, look, I'm not too sure if I'm reading it wrong, but they seem to be scrambling to sell quite a lot of their assets or pretty much as many assets as they can. Um, I think it's been around $1.3 billion worth of asset sales to date now. Um, and the whole reason that they're going through to do that is to deleverage their US exposure. So, look, I think they're going to have to keep doing that because it's going to be a tough sell to raise capital at these price levels because the share price is trading so low as well. So if they were to do that, they end up diluting their shareholders even further, um, which would probably make some of these investors very, very upset. Uh, look, it is at those price levels where I'm probably starting to look at it at the moment. Um, but that being said, just the way things are going at the moment with the, the amount of debt that they have there, look, it is a fantastic asset business. Um, I just think they've probably gotten it slightly wrong. Um, so like I said, what well, we've just had four REITs already. There's plenty of options in this market. I don't think this is one that I'm, I'm going to look at just yet. If they can do some restructuring, um, fix up that issue a little bit more, happy to look at because the asset's fantastic. Um, until then, I'm probably just going to uh, leave it for now. Okay, but what if you do have it? Would you hold it though? Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one, right? Because the, the share price is so low. Yeah, um, yeah look, I, I'd say so. Hold on to it um, because it is such a good business, uh, good asset, sorry. Um, I think the share price is relatively low if you're looking at it from a long-term perspective. Um, I'd be wanting to see some, yeah, good updates. If you've got a long-term sort of horizon on it, happy to hold it for a couple of years, yeah, you're probably safe in that space, but I wouldn't be rushing out to buy it, that's for sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's leave the mall, shall we? And, um, and go recycling instead. Uh, we're getting into Sims, the metal recycler. Uh, in fact, at uh, most recent result, they're posting an 80% fall in statutory net profit for the first half, slashed its interim dividend. Um, Brody, Sims, um, cyclical sort of business. What, uh, how are you seeing at the moment? Yeah, very cyclical business. Um, share price is also somewhat heavily correlated with the, the steel price as well. So that's a, another concern that you have to look at. Um, I think it was a really great business, particularly while the market, looking back at a couple of years or so, a year or two, um, companies were worried about their ESG score. Um, this is obviously where Sims comes in. You're looking at some of those markets that they're looking to get into, like the US, EU, look, they're starting to commit to that uh, carbon neutrality plans. Um, but it seems companies and manufacturers are just a little bit more worried about their cost pressures at the moment. So there's actually a big movement off their last report. It was a very sort of disappointing report as such, um, but the share price jumped up on the day, which was a bit of a surprise for me as well. And they'd flagged those lower revenues just because they can't sort of quite get the input and there's higher costs for the business because of some of those inflationary issues. Um, it's very difficult for them to, to pass them on as well. So yeah, look, I, it's not the space I want to be in at the moment because we are looking at a cyclical business with a little bit of a sketchy outlook. Um, if you look at the outlook in their report, 
Um, it wasn't too crash hot as well. So, look, I think if you're in it at the moment, I'd actually be taking the opportunity while that the share price is somewhat elevated. I'd be selling out. Um, add it to your watch list because it is a good business, but it is cyclical in nature, and it's it's not what I want to be in just yet, just now. Yep. Okay, David. Yeah, pretty much agree with with everything that Brody said. That uh, yeah, the the result uh, lower revenues, but their costs were up eighteen and a half percent. So. Uh, their margins, their last couple of results, their margins have been declining and their volumes across the geographies have been uh, worse. So, yeah, a little bit surprised to see the, the strength in the share price that we've seen. Uh, you know, we last did research coverage of them in November last year and they were trading uh, down around 11 dollars they're now at 16 um, and I think some of that share price strength has been uh, people speculating on the, the China reopening and, and potential demand coming through there. Um, I am yeah tend to agree with Brody, I'd be looking at, at uh, taking the, the share price strength as an opportunity to, to sell out at, at current levels. Okay, so that is a double sell then just as far as uh, Sims. We're not even recycling, we're just trashing it, it would appear. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show then. Uh, we began with our stock of the day, Maya. Um, an impressive result, both agree that we're worried about the longer term just as far as uh, the business is concerned, given, well, we were concentrating there on, on the mall business and a lot of Maya stores find themselves in the mall, so essentially a sell uh, from both there for Maya, as for those stocks as picked by you. Uh, Navigator Global, uh, it, uh, it was a manager of managers in fund management, essentially. Uh, David has a buy on it, but uh, Brody talking about it, it's a low margin business, so he's avoiding it at this point. Uh, Carindale, the property trust, we've had a few REITs, uh, and it's uh, concentrated in a, a regional shopping centre based in Brisbane, which David knows well. Uh, he likes it, saying it's a good area, a few competitors there, he's got a buy on it. Uh, Brody, um, he's, uh, he's got a hold. Uh, just in terms of REITs, we went on to national storage REIT. Uh, Brody has a hold on it, saying he does like the long-term growth, 90% occupancy. Uh, he's looking to buy the weakness, perhaps. Uh, whereas David is looking to lighten just as far as uh, National Storage REIT is concerned. Unibail Redemco, and uh, it was an accumulate there from David. He likes them all. Um, Brody, he's got a, a hold on it, but he's a little concerned there just with the debt levels. Maybe they've uh, overreached there. Um, essentially saying management has dropped the ball. And just finally there, Sims, as I mentioned, it is a double sell for the metals recycler. All right, uh, we got, uh, of course, our own high conviction fund here at the call, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's check in on the portfolio update. Going into March, Seven Group and Janison Education were removed, mineral resources was trimmed, and MA Financial and Austal were added to the portfolio. So let's uh, check in on the performance. So far, the fund up almost 12% on a cumulative return basis since its inception to March the 1st. Uh, well, that was the prior year. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next.
At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, well, what we're going to be looking at next will be Sandfire, Experience Co, AGL Energy, ALS, and Superloop. So let's get into copper with Sandfire. Um, and I guess expectations of a global copper shortage. That's what a lot of, lot of um, fundies and analysts I've been speaking to citing that. Uh, how we look at the price of copper at the moment is, is suffering, um, clearly being the Dr. Copper, the barometer, I guess, of, uh, of the global economy. Um, David, how do you see Sandfire and how well placed is it? And are you also on board with that looming global copper shortage? Certainly agree with the, the looming global copper shortage and, and the fact that uh, you know, we, we aren't um, you know, spending enough in, in mine development over the, the last few years and that uh, you know, there's definitely um, strong demand for copper for traditional uh, sources but then also longer term uh, the requirement for copper in electric vehicles and decarbonisation uh, will continue to be very, very strong. So, yeah, we, we like that theme long term, but short term, yeah, have a few concerns as far as the the economic conditions and you know, potential slowdown and, and or recession uh, globally. So in the short term, there, there could be a bit of a drop off in demand, but medium and longer term, we like it. Um, as far as Sandfire is concerned, tend to think that they're probably overvalued at current levels. Uh, it's not a stock that we officially cover at, at, at uh, you know, in our research. We like uh, Eris, uh, which is a, a smaller copper player. Uh, AIS is the, the code for it. So we'd be pre preferring to be buying that uh, and see the, the recent share price strength that we've seen in Sandfire as an opportunity to, to sell. All right, interesting. Um, are you... Do you like, are you buying into the battery metals though? Um, I mean, you mentioned Aeris there, uh, but more broadly, yeah. um, are you in that space? Yeah, look, long term, we think that that, that theme, uh, as far as decarbonisation, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, we like all chem in, in the, the lithium space. Um, we, you know, also like a number of the, uh, the companies that, you know, have a broad range of commodities. So South 32, uh, that has exposure to some copper, some nickel. Uh, you know, we, we like those businesses. So yeah, medium and long term, we think that that theme plays out. Just short term, we think that you know, Sandfire share price is probably a little bit too too expensive. But they have some some excellent resources, and uh, you know, if the share price weakens, there's probably an opportunity to to look at adding to it um, at a better price. Yeah. Okay. Brody, your thoughts. David, on pretty much most points, including the, the bonus by Aeris Resources. So, look, I think if you look at Sandfire, it's run pretty hard over the past few months. Look, they've got this real benefit there with there being sort of so few options in the copper space that aren't really diluted as well. So when you have a company like Oz Minerals in the midst of this takeover bid, um, basically Sandfire's had the benefit of just being, I guess, the next biggest option. 
Um, so if people are sort of really bullish behind that trade, you know, they had to see that there's not much growth in OZL, they'll just rotate their funds into something like a Sandfire because it's your next biggest, what we could maybe say is a, a pure play as well. So no, I, I think the sort of copper theme um, is here to stay. It's, it's got a couple of those indicators that it could be the next squeeze. Look, it's got that large reliance on, on one region for its supply. And we're mainly looking at sort of Chile and Peru, which are in uh, geopolitical turmoil, to say the least. Um, near record low inventories. These mines have been getting recycled a lot, um, and we're yeah we're starting to see a lot of those lines uh, mines sorry coming into expiration, with next to no mines opening as well. Um, yeah, third uh, third issue on that Chinese construction season. It is about to start. Um, copper expected to be in this sort of decade-long deficit um, as the world turns to decarbonisation. So, yeah, I'm very comfortable at the moment to to be in the copper space. I think it is one of those materials that I'm just sitting around and accumulating um, as the share of, as the actual copper price have come off as well. So. Look, I'd say um, I agree with David. It is a little bit high up at the moment. Um, I'd go off and probably say buy Aeris Resources instead, um, and I'd be accumulating Sandfire on, on any sort of weakness I'd see. Look, I think they've got that uh, growth potential there, um, and they're set up really well at the moment as well. Brody, as you pointed out, uh, there's a bit of a paucity of those uh, those copper producers, you know, particularly uh, in Australia. And you know, I guess mm. if you're trying to take advantage of long-term copper growth, I mean, it's, it's a long runway, isn't it, to try and get a copper mine up? So, do you think there's going to be a little yeah. more M and A activity in the space? Well, potentially. Um, look, it's something I'm really going to have to just uh, continue to monitor. Look, I think Sandfire's actually done a good job. Um, they're one of the few companies that are having a, a new mine open up, actually. Um, I believe it's in Botswana. Um, the only issue is uh, I think it's actually replacing one of their existing copper mines in WA that's that's shutting down as well. So, look, there's, there's one or two of these mines opening up, uh, but they're few and far between. So there's probably some opportunities to, to make money. Um, and when there's opportunities to make money, I'm sure people will uh, start to jump in. Okay, that is Sandfire. Well, speaking of jumping in, let's go jump into Experience Co. That's what it's all about. Uh, that's our next stock. It is the Adventure Tourism Company. I guess, it, you know, bungee jumping is probably part of that experience. Uh, now, of course, did suffer over COVID when things shut down, then had a bit of a bounce. So. Brody, are you are you buying into Experience Co? What um, I mean, clearly, this is also based on, I guess, the reopening of the borders, uh, international tourists taking advantage of this as well. Yeah, look, I'm going to give it a miss. Um, I think the travel reopening trade has, has pretty much sort of more than played out. Um, it is a very crowded trade, or it probably was a very crowded trade out there for a long time. Um, and the business didn't actually sort of take too uh, yeah, much advantage of that realistically as well. So it's quite a small company um, and the macro sort of backdrop for it is, is really bad. Look, if we're gonna have our work cut out to sort of miss this recession. So if we sort of base our views off this, um, we're talking about having yeah big increases in expendable consumer uh, spending the environment for this has been good recently. Employment numbers have been strong. That's all backward-looking data for the company. Um, so, look, if you're a household and your expenses have shot up quite considerably, where are you going to cut your spending? Um, you're not going to cut it on essentials. You're not going to cut it on your car, your health, probably not. 
um, if you have a holiday to, to New Zealand to go skydive, that's probably where you're going to cut your expenses as well. So, look, I'd say sell. Um, just get out after the, the backward-looking data before this outlook starts to kick in as well. All right. David. Yeah, I've got the opposite view. We've mm. um, we've got a buy recommendation on okay. them and, and think that it uh, it's a good business. Um, we like the fact that during COVID, obviously, they their business was impacted, but they were able to, to pivot relatively well, um, had some reasonable uh, numbers coming through from d domestic tourism. Uh, they were able to, to make an acquisition of Trees Adventure Park, so they've got a, a bit of a focus up in, in North Queensland. Uh, and with um, yeah, some, I suppose, new opportunities opening up with, uh, with cruises returning, and also, uh, as China and Japan, South Korea, places like that uh, become more free in terms of their travel, we think that the, the inbound tourism uh, should improve as well. So we're looking for a, a reasonable uh, improvement in their earnings. Um, and, yeah, they're trading on a P of around um, 10 times at the moment. We think that that gets into single digits in the future. So yeah, we've got a buy recommendation, uh, target price of 45 cents on it. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a well positioned business. And, um, you know, it, it, it certainly is discretionary. I agree with with Brody. But at the moment, I think we've still got some pent up demand from uh, people who weren't able to travel and are still uh, allocating a portion of their their funds uh, towards, um, you know, tourism and, and leisure. So we're in that space then, tourism and leisure, you, you, Brett, uh, you sort of broadly bullish then, are you, David? On the, the leisure side, yeah, we're still quite positive because we think that that, uh, that pent-up demand is still there and that uh, at the moment, um, you know, people are fully employed and there is uh, money to be spent. Um, probably a little bit more cautious on business travel because we think that that's the, the lever that uh, you know, can be can be turned off more quickly, and that uh, businesses, as we you know, if we head into to slower times, will uh, curtail that. But on the leisure side, we're still seeing some some pent up demand there, and then you know the, the international borders obviously have opened, but there hasn't necessarily been the capacity there as yet. So we think over the next twelve months, there's there's further capacity gains to be um, you know, made from both inbound and, and outbound um, leisure tourism. All right, okay, so there's a market right there for Experience Co. Uh, Brody essentially got a sell on it, whereas David has a buy. All right, let's get into AGL Energy. Um, look, it has had its travails, um, obviously internally with uh, management and large shareholders disagreeing. Uh, its uh, shares were sold off heavily off the back of its results um, last month, its, uh, its half-year results. Um, so the question, I guess, is what next for the company? Um, looking going forward there, David, um, what is your view on, on AGL? Yeah, it's definitely a company that's had uh, a, a tough period over the last uh, you know, three or four years. Um, a lot of political involvement i suppose and and uh, as you said the the board um reshuffle that's happened there uh we've actually upgraded our recommendation to a buy and that's largely based on that sh that share price uh decline that we've had um i guess the view is that they've had 
as bad a time as they could have possibly had over the last couple of years and that heading forward we're seeing a, an improvement um, hopefully they'll now have a bit more stability at the management side uh, and we're looking for significantly higher earnings over the next 12 months from um, as wholesale electricity prices improve um, the business you know is is looking towards renewable energy as well so obviously they've got the legacy assets of the coal-fired uh, power but they are you know heading heading towards a renewable um you know future so yeah we think at current levels that they there is value in them um but it is definitely one of those stocks that uh has been on the nose for a while and and probably has a higher risk but if you're prepared to stick with it for for 12 or 18 months we think that there should be some reasonable returns out of agl at current levels i mean i guess that's the point it's that longer term play isn't it and that, that, that just how questionable that is as far as it's a pivot into renewable energies which is part of that that uh, power play within the company isn't it certainly as, as far as mike cannon brooks is concerned that he wants to accelerate that so um are you sort of favoring the trajectory of the company at the moment that it's going to manage to pull that off yeah, we think so, and it, it's been, uh, you know, I, I suppose that that push and pull uh, with AGL for a number of years, as you know, really three or four years ago, management tried to uh, close down their their coal-fired power stations, but were actually stopped by the government in doing so because there's there's still the demand that we need electricity to run our daily lives, and demand is increasing. Um, so it's challenging for a company like AGL to move from. The old world to the new world while still being able to do it at a, at a profitable way and, and provide a return for shareholders so it's really in that um yeah that transition phase um so it's one for patient and investors but i think if you've got that patience um yeah they've now got the platform to be able to do it uh you know successfully and it's been a you know one of our oldest businesses and it, it will continue to be a, a very important business as far as uh, australia is concerned Okay, Brody, are you a believer then in AGL? AGL, it's the the original dividend trap, isn't it? Um, no, look, it's it's a tough space to be in at the moment. Obviously, it's it's pretty hard for them to generate any sort of uh, competitive advantage as well. Um, look, they, I agree with David. Um, they should actually probably benefit from their exposure to the rising energy prices at the moment. Look, I think what I'm uh, looking at, and it should come through, I think it's about this uh, mid this month as well. We have the government moving towards sort of price caps in the space. Um, we've had sort of a, a certain amount of customers going on to hardship programs. That's increased quite considerably. So I believe we're expecting a draft offer from the Australian Energy Regulator at some point this month as well. And that'll start to apply onto the next financial year. So that's probably just one of the key risks that I see within the business at the moment. Um, so I think I'm probably gonna hold off. Look, their results, they were sold off on it a little bit. Um, my main concern for me uh, within that report is that they just lowered their guidance range. Um, their guidance range is obviously a big one. The market's always forward pricing, not backwards pricing as well. Um, so I think there's just quite a bit of uncertainty on it at the moment. Um, it is at sort of quite cheap prices, but there are a couple of these risks like I just mentioned. Um, so I think if you're in it, um, you've probably been holding it for quite a period of time. Um, no point selling out at these levels, comfortable to sort of hold on because quite a lot of the bad news has been priced in, um, but I wouldn't be going out and buying it just yet. 
um, I'd be looking to uh, yeah just see how these risk events come through and then make your decision from it at that point. Yeah, as you say, I mean, given where that share price is, it, it seems quite compelling. But uh, is it a case then you think the market has got it right? It's down at that level for a reason. Yeah, well, they've been pricing in this news. Mm. Look, obviously, lowering guidance is, is one of the big things in a report. Um, the reports are very much sort of backward looking. So um, the market really uh, prefers when a company comes out with guidance. Usually that's when the uh, the stocks get sold down quite a uh, fair amount on reporting season is when their guidance actually lacks, not necessarily always their numbers as well. So um, usually if they're, they're lowering their guidance, it means that the share price is going to struggle until their next report. Um, so you're probably holding on for another six months or unless some um, fundamental news comes out in the interim as well. Um, so it just depends on, on how, uh, yeah, how long you want to hold the stock on for if you're sort of concerned about it over the next couple of months. Um, the report's told you everything you need to know. Um, but if you've been in the position for a long period of time, it's probably just worth holding on for the moment, seeing these risks come through um, and then making your decision from there. So happy to hold. All right. So that is ALG. Uh, AGL, I should say, but I'm getting confused because the next one is ALS, not to be confused with the ticket code, which is ALQ. Um, sorry, confusing you. But let's get into ALS Global then. It is uh, what provides what testing, inspection, certification, verification processes. Um, Brody, what are your thoughts then? Do you do you cover ALS? We do. Um... Look, I think it's a, it's a really good company. Um, they've got strong management. It's a, it's a real shame. Obviously, it's been sort of sold off over the past couple of days um, on the back of the, the resignation of their CEO. I think he'd been with the company for something like 23 years as well. So market has not liked that at all. Um, but I think if you look at the macro um, behind the business, look, their report was a really good one. The outlook for their commodities part of their business will probably say that that's still pretty strong for at least, say, the next year or so. They've been increasing uh, increasing their testing volumes in that space. Um, the risks that they've faced in the past, which includes probably their access to labour, that seems to be reducing as well. So, look, um, I think if you sort of look at the company, they've got pretty good guidance when it comes to the commodities part of their business. They stated great outlook in their life science division as well. Um, and I think the balance sheet actually looks pretty good, um, even despite their 1.9 times leverage. So um, I was going through it and, and having a, a conversation the other day with one of our analysts. One thing that uh, got brought up, which I was actually present, pleasantly surprised with, is that 80% of their current debt that they've drawn down on is actually fixed at an average rate of under 3% as well. So um, clearly that's good foresight by the management to be able to do that in the first place. And they have plenty of uh, liquidity to be able to sort of cover their interest expenses as well. Um, so those are all the sort of positives. Um, the downsides for me, they are sort of quite a global business at the moment. So they have a huge number of staff um, to actually process what they need to. They usually tend to prefer to sort of test on spot or close to um, when it comes to the commodities part of their business. So they don't have to ship the product around the world. Um, that unfortunately equals a, a lot of overheads and they are trading at sort of around a 23p ratio, which is quite high. 
um, for a business of that size as well. So look, I really like the business. Um, we like the management. It's a shame about the CEO stepping down. I think it was for, for personal reasons, um, but it's for those probably two risks that at the moment, I'm gonna put it down as a hold um, and not a buy. But I think look, just generally the industrials is a good, good space to be in at the moment. Um, so if it gets any cheaper, I'd be looking to accumulate. Maybe a chance will come with that, the recent uh, share price action. Yep, okay, David. Yeah, our uh, our analysts are a little bit more concerned about um, the the margins that they've got. So they've made a number of acquisitions over recent years, and what that means is that they're barely uh, able to, to make their cost of capital. Uh, and when you include goodwill, um, they're actually not even meeting their cost of capital. So. Uh, our analyst has a, a view that the, the fair value on the stock is $7.10. So um, we've got a sell recommendation on it um, and had that even prior to uh, the movement in the last couple of days. So be looking at um, yeah exiting the stock, whether or not you do that now after it's just had the, the big fall or whether you wait until we see a little bit of a recovery. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly a well-managed business. And as Brody said, they're global. They've got a, a good footprint in both uh, the commodity space, but they've also been expanding in pharmaceutical uh, testing and food testing, et cetera. So they're, they're diversifying their base. Um, like the business but think at current prices it, it's probably too expensive for it's been a you know a reasonable um uplift in that share price so i'd be taking a an opportunity to to exit that and um yeah, potentially looking at, at you know re-entering at a at a uh, lower price in the future all right that is als let's round it out with Superloop. david wanted to know about this um in that telco area uh, in fact it's seen its uh, customers uh, jump and that's uh, pushed its revenue uh, higher as a result, uh, up around uh, 31% thereabouts um, uh, for the year on year. And um, well, it's looking at that growth in both its consumer business and wholesale segments. David, Superloop. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, not a stock that we cover anymore. Um, it's a very small stock, but um, you know, it, it does have a very, very good network. Yeah, they've built out uh, a high-performing um, fibre network. Uh, from all accounts, it's it's high quality. Uh, the share price, as you see there, is is down fairly significantly. Um, so it's it's a high-risk stock. It's not uh, not earning a profit at this point in time, but their revenues have been improving fairly well. They've got some good customers there. Um, so if you wanted a a speculative punt you could you could probably go out and buy it um our preference would be to be in at the the better end of the market so being very very conservative you're looking at a, at a telstra um we also like aussie broadband which is uh one of the dnbn providers and uh has been improving their market share they've got about seven percent market share of the nbn market <clears throat> And have been building a a, uh, a very strong um, business network through their acquisition of over the wire. So my preference would probably be to towards um, Telstra or Aussie Broadband in that space, um, but recognise the fact that Superloop's share price is is fairly low. Mm. So is that a specy buy then? Probably a speculative buy, but yeah, oh. being yeah, um, emphasising the speculative side. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I get it, Brody. Um, yeah, look, I like what they've done with the business. I think 
when they actually sort of started off, they were fibre infrastructure provider, I believe, as well. So, look, it's a lot more simple these days. They are sort of that competitor to Aussie broadband. Um, so they've got, yeah, pretty good assets at the moment. Their rates are competitive. Speeds look really good. Um, my concern is that it's just a very difficult market to, to break into. Obviously, the angle that it looks like they're trying to uh, break into the market, it's they've got big claims about how good their service is. Um, personally, I haven't sort of tried it out, so I can't testify it to that. Um, but look, I think that's a pretty good angle for the space, given how frustrating a lack of support can be. Like everyone's been on hold to uh, Telstra or, or Optus for a long period of time, and it's a very frustrating thing. Um, so it's something like they they promise to call you back or answer your call straight away. Um, otherwise, you get a $10 credit as well. So look, that's really good for the customer which hopefully should uh, yeah, get some customer growth through the door. But it's actually very capital intensive as they start to scale that business because they're still a very, very small business as well. Um, I think they have something like just a touch under 300,000 customers. Um, so that's split between sort of residential, business, wholesale. Um, they've got an extra 50,000 either coming in or just came in from My Republic. So there is a lot of growth room for the business because they are quite small. Um, I think if they can sort of remain customer centric, that's probably a, a pretty good angle for them. Um, look, my problem here is, is probably just with the share price. They've been around for, for quite some time. Um, they've been in a downtrend actually, the share price since 2017. Um, so I'll be staying away from this one for the moment. I think there is potential for it. I think if you like the space and you're looking at something like Superloop, go out and, and buy Aussie Broadband instead. It's, it's probably gonna be a better bet. All right. Good one. Let's uh, sum it up the second half of the show then. We began with uh, Sandfire in the copper space. Uh, David's actually got a sell on it. Um, just uh, worried about the, uh, the, the slowdown uh, uh, with the global economy, of course. Uh, and Brody, an accumulate on weakness is his call. And interestingly, uh, both liking Eris in that space instead. Experience Co. Uh, well, Brody, no. In fact, he's selling it. Uh, just looking at that macro backdrop at the moment, which he thinks is going to impact the business. Whereas David's got a different view. He's saying it is a good business. Uh, earnings likely to improve. He's got a buy on Experience Co. AGL, we know the pain it's been through in recent times. David's got a buy on it, uh, on its, um, given its a share price weakness. Uh, essentially saying it can't get any worse. Uh, whereas um, Brody's saying, uh, he's got a hold on it, uh, but he's seeing both recognising the benefit that uh, those rising energy prices. ALS, um, Brody notes that it was sold off substantially on the resignation of its chief executive, which he says is a loss. He's got a hold on it, whereas David has a sell. He's concerned about the margins for the business. And finally, there, Superloop. Um, I pushed him on it, but David is saying it's a specky buy, but emphasises that is very specky. And Brody essentially and avoid uh, both liking, or David preferring Telstra or Aussie Broadband. Uh, Aussie's the place to be for Brody in that space. All right, thank you to our guests. David, thanks for joining us from Ords. My pleasure, thank you. And Brody from Macro Capital. Thank you very much. See you guys. All right, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us at ausbiztv. Stay with us, The Pulse is coming up next.